Look up there in the sky. It's a bird. A plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One Grandmaster Flash. One DJ Cool Kirk. One weekly discussion of comics and your culture. I'm your host, Robbie Dorman, literature geek and writer. I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd. And we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You hope for news reviews, slightly antagonistic banter, and much, much more. Subs to 201, we've rolled over. Mm-hmm. So. Another trip around the sun, as they say in podcast world. That is the only place they say that. And it doesn't go, you don't do 365, you do uh, hundreds. What uh, what level is podcast world in, in, in Mario? That's in that's in they're saving that for Odyssey too. Okay. Your uh sounds good. The outfit you have to wear to get into it is uh like like gross jeans, uh a button down plaid shirt, and headphones. I'm gonna say you definitely describe my outfit. <laughs> It's not plaid though. I'm wearing an Oxford cloth button down because I'm classy. I understand. I know. This is I, that's. It's more of a general podcaster outfit than uh, you in particular. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's my side. You guys doing out there? We are uh, going to be discussing later on the Hip Hop Family Tree Volume One by Ed Piscor. 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 I just Piscor? say Ed Pisker. Pisker. Ed I don't, Pisker. I don't know though. I've never asked him. I've never asked him either. I think Ed Pisker is fun. We'll be talking about that later. Hence, uh, the Grandmaster Flash and DJ Cool Herc, and there'll be lots of other alter egos thrown out mm-hmm. at you. Uh, before we get there, though, we have comic books that came out this very week to discuss. Isn't that right, Eric? You're correct, sir. Good. Just I, I'm just checking. Get, get, trust but verify. Mm-hmm. It's time for Weekly Floppies. Weekly Floppies is the part show. Eric and I will read a selection of this week's books, tell you to buy or do not buy them. Uh, we have a mush meter goes from one to five if we're feeling mushy about our decision. Our first book of the week is The Punisher, number 218, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art, uh, do you, do you, uh, Villanova, colors, Lee Luffridge, letters, Corey Pettit. So, uh, our first Punisher of Marvel Legacy edition, uh, new creative team, Punisher working for Nick Fury. Or Nick Fury Jr., whichever. I don't even know if they're officially calling him Jr. or not anymore, but. They just call him, they call him Just Jr. Just Jr.? It'd be great if that, if that was really the case. They didn't even call him Nick Fury. They just called him Jr. Jr. We named the dog Indiana. Um, I don't know. I, it doesn't, I, it, it gives a very general direction of where, uh, this is going. Mm-hmm. And I like it for that. I like, I, it's, it understand. I think it, it has a basic understanding of where the Punisher is and how the Punisher works in 2017, um, and the Punisher in a war machine suit. Hey, I'm pretty. I'm intrigued. I like the idea of that. There's also a part of me that goes, no, that takes away some of his vulnerabilities. You know, the thing about the Punisher, he's just a man. Even though, you know, I believe in. Again, he lost an entire rib from a shotgun blast. He was fine. Uh, it's gone. It's just gone. Not broken. Gone. <laughs> Not broken. Not broken. Gone. Not broken. Gone. <laughs> Although that was the Punisher Max. It's a little bit different than this one. Um, 
I don't know. I'm optimistic about it, but not excited. I, I think it's kind of gimmicky and stupid that they're. This is like the. It's it just seems excessive that they're just like give him an Iron Man suit. Well, this is just like a a repeated gimmick that they're doing is just giving people Iron Man suits. Also, they, they are they, definitely huh? make they're definitely making this this version of Frank Castle look like John Bernthal. Oh God, exactly well, like him. Like not even like subtle. Not, like hey, like let's yeah. just make him closer to that design. It's just like hey, literally, just draw the actor. Just have him look mm-hmm. exactly like the guy in the Netflix show. Draw his weird nose and his big ears. You know, he is Kurt Angle's nephew. Cool. I, I did not know that until Instagram randomly you, showed me. You're gonna say you don't have to say the wrestler. I know who Kurt Angle is. I don't. Some people, you know, don't. not some people that you podcast with. I, I guess know. it's well. Matt Ham does not know who Kurt Angle is. I guarantee it. I Matt Ham has forgotten the face of his father. <laughs> I, I'm like I don't know. I I, I also I am. Uh, I don't know if you read the uh, the the little. I know it's a it's a lot honestly a lot of uh, writing from uh, Matthew Rosenberg to, that mm-hmm. kind of explains his ethos around the Punisher at the end and I I'm I think some of my optimism about this is like just literally just reading what he said and he seems to have a good grasp on I don't know I think I'm intrigued by this run on the character I don't know I, I'm not excited about it though you don't right I I think that I can agree with that. I did not read this. Uh, it's a lot. It is. It, well, it's a it's a it's a page of words in, in a, all capitals mm-hmm. uh, in a comic book, and anytime I see that many words, it's got a really TL TLDR. Mean bro, come on. Yeah, for real. Got throw some cat pictures in there. I'm like, I, I think I'm, I think it does what I'm like a basic punish. I, I I don't know. Maybe a mush meter of I'm a buy mush meter of one. I I feel like it doesn't. Is, I think I'm more excited just because I want the pun, like Punisher doing like I don't know. I really liked the Garth Ennis storyline of him when he went to Russia mm-hmm. and that Punisher Max story. And if it's more of that, I'm on board. That is a that was a cool story, and I'm down. You know, with it, a, a writer who's it, not writing the Punisher like he's a actual hero. It definitely feels like that kind of Punisher and that kind of story. It, it it feels very inspired by that. I, I I don't know. I can't bring myself to be at all excited about it. And I think that it's silly and gimmicky. The parts that aren't about Frank Castle in a in a robot suit are just they're fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I def I was also skeptical about Frankencastle, um, which I definitely came around on. Maybe I just need to let comics be fun. Maybe that is a fu- a thing that's fun is putting putting everybody in the fucking Iron Man suit. Is that fun, Robbie? I think it depends what he does in that suit. It's not as and fun so as him. It's not as fun as Frank Castle as a Frankenstein monster riding a dragon. Yeah, yeah. I'll t- I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Because, but we we haven't had anything happen yet. No, I think. I would have loved. I it's gay. It's comic books. Things happen at a slower pace than they used to. Where where you sit? Dawkins gonna chop him into <laughs> little bits into, into spam. Oh no, Dawkins busy. He only got, he's only got one arm right now. Dawkins the the drummer for Dawkins only got one arm. 
That's Def Leppard, I believe, actually. I know. It's uh, okay. just, just still funny, though. <laughs> okay. Are you? Where are you? Bye? Do you not buy? Mushy? Uh, God, jeez. I don't know. I can't. I don't know that I can muster up a buy, but I don't think it's because this is bad. Okay. I just think that this is... This is an okay book. I can't... What does okay mean? It's fine. It's not poor. I mean, but is it is it a buy okay or do not buy okay? I am trying to lay out my reasoning and you're interrupting me. I'm sorry. I'm trying to push you. You know what people really like in podcasts is when two people talk at the same time. I'll just make myself quiet. It'll be okay. (laughs) No. um, I think that I'm just going to say I am not a huge fan of The Punisher. This is a good execution of it. I don't even know that I could be a five on the mush meter. I am just like a very meh, do not buy. It's not bad. If you like the Punisher, go for it. And I myself might come back around and say this is a good book if we read more of them. And it all kind of adds up. But I am not excited about next issues based on this this premise. Okay. So I'm I'm a very soft do not buy. You want to you want to mush up your do not buy? I don't think we should do that. We've done it before. It's too late. No, I I I think I've done it ironically. Oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that this is just me personally. I wouldn't buy it, but I think if someone's a, a a Punisher fan. Then I recommend it. So let's say I'm I am personally I do not buy. It's a split decision on the Punisher two number two yeah. number two eighteen with a mush reader of one. Our next book is Doctor Strange number three hundred and eighty one. Writer Donnie Cates, art Gabriel Hernandez Volta, colors Jordi Belair, letters Corey Pettit. So first Donnie Cates book at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh with uh, the rest of the team from the vision. It's pretty good. It's a pretty this good book has good snakes in it. It does have good snakes in it. Uh it's it's a pretty good, good team. Now. And I don't, this, I, I like, I don't know. It's not, this is not a hard sell for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, we are fans of Donnie Cates. We like mm-hmm. pretty much everything he does. Correct. We are excited about him coming to Marvel. I like, correct. I like Walta. I like Jordy Belair. Mm-hmm. I like this, this Dr. Strange as a vet is great. Yes. Uh, Loki. Pretty good joke, doc. It's a pretty good a Loki as the new Sorcerer Supreme. I feel like is there's a good a good handle on Loki as an, mm-hmm. uh, as a not quite a protagonist but maybe and I don't know it, it's funny it looks nice mm-hmm. it's good good on good on good mm-hmm. it's got good snakes in it it does have good snakes in it I just really want to stress the good snakes haunted eyes talking dogs it does magic have, mummies it does have talking dogs disappearing bars. Yes, yeah, good. It's good. I don't know. It's not, it doesn't have to be super complicated. I think that after Jason Aaron's run on the on on Strange, which is pretty serious, honestly, like it had its share of levity, but it was about like the death of magic and the cost of doing magic and pain and suffering and stuff. Having I don't know, having a, a slightly more funny, a little uh, Loki and Doctor Strange is a vet that. Kind of a a, a a softer take is good. I, I, I'm a full on buy. It's really it's a it's a I'm happy, happy. Mm-hmm. Eric, you, yeah, I assume you're buy. Uh, I'll throw it in the trash. This book is 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 a wicked evil book. 
No, I would hu- I would hug Donny Cates if I could. Huh? Wicked evil in a good way. Yeah. It's like wicked bad. Wicked. That's a double buy. Yeah. On Doctor Strange number 381. Our very nuanced take. This is awesome. Buy it. <laughs> Brush a can on my head. Uh, next up is Fence number one. Uh, created by C.S. Pa- Packet and Johanna the Mad. Written by C.S. Packet. Illustrated by Johanna the Mad. Colors by Joanna La Fuente. Letters by Jim Campbell. Pretty sure I follow Johanna the Mad on uh, medias. Okay. Good artist. I'm glad. I'm good. I'm glad that you know because I was just like I just went looked. Yeah. I'm looking at the credits. I'm like, all right, Joanna the Mad. People's people's screen names are their screen names. I get it. I mean, that's the, that's we are living. That's the time we're living in now. Where, mm-hmm. well, Jock- I, honestly, in my in my opinion, I mean, Jock is not that unusual. Think about how long fucking Mobius and Kaza have been doing comics. Fucking weirdo or, artists uh, is what they, you know, what we can't trust them with anything, not even their own names. Yeah, no one has ever published under a, a, a pen name. Nope, no such thing. <laughs> That's Creative the, types, yeah. you know, <laughs> using fake names and things they make up. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this comic book here? I am hesitant to call it bad. Because this is very obviously a genre fiction book. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Th- this is this is exactly, exactly, exactly. This is Yuri on Ice with fencing. It, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. It's not kind of. It is exactly. Okay. It is 0% different. I mean, there's no ice. There's no ice. The story shape is different, but the the genre that Yuri on Ice, the, the tropes that it is borrowing from, this is exactly, exactly that. And it is not a thing that I care about. It is a dumb thing. It is people that they're going to eat this up with a spoon and also call it stupid trash and call themselves stupid trash. Um, I... I don't know. This book is going to mean an awful lot to someone else that's not me. It, I, is, it is not bad. It is well-crafted. It is a good example of this incredibly dumb genre. Every bit of it is really kind of hackneyed and derivative. I oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I believe I just told you how you feel. Oh, okay. I believe that was very conclusive. Oh, all right. I mean, I've never seen any fiction about fencing ever. I've not read a book. I've never I've never seen a movie. I've never seen fencing appear in anything. I dated a girl who was um a college level fencer. You remember Stephanie? Mhm. Yeah, that that was her. Oh, okay. Um Yeah. I so that I mean, that's kind of novel. You're right that this this kind of story where, you know, it's competitive, you know, high school kids in a sport and there's like drama, relationships and, and a bragging and this uh, down in his luck as our protagonist. He's got to work his way up through the ranks and all that. He mm-hmm. is, you know, there's inner school rivalry going on as well. I kind of mostly with you in that I just don't find it that interesting. I I was still. Well, I mean, that's I, it's because it's not written for us. I there's a part there's a part of me that wants to really be engaged with this, but it's mm-hmm. just I like because I really th- I think like 
the the execution of this idea is very good in this comic book. Mm-hmm. I think it really it they uh, the uh, the art does a really good job at representing fencing. You know, and particularly I like it, it that feels like it would be hard because fencing is a high speed quick reaction sport. Uh, you know, it's, it is about very, very quick movement, uh, in very short bursts and, and kind of reading your opponent's, uh, stance and all that stuff. And I feel like the book does a good job at that. I feel like the writing for what it is is good. I mm-hmm. think it is going for what, for that idea of Yuri on Ice Boat with fencing. Do you remember when, uh, Fresh Romance came out? Mm hmm. I don't think either of us really liked anything, any of it that well. No, I don't think we did. It's just, it's a genre that's very clearly not for us. Um, it's, it's not going to be about any kind of like strong character or like whatever. I mean, maybe they'll tell an interesting story around these tropes. Maybe there'll be interesting character around these tropes, but I think that it's not what people are wanting. It's not what they're hungry for here. It's it's fine for what it is. Um, you know, I don't want to stereotype people too much, but if you read a lot of girl fiction, that's what this is. I mean, you know, it's also if, if it's also. I think it is a certain level. There's a certain level of kind of safety in this, mm-hmm. which I. I don't know. I as I've gotten older, that holds more and more appeal to me. I used to only like I only liked horror movies. And I only liked things that were edgy and gross and cutting mm-hmm. and, and dangerous. And mm-hmm. I still like a lot of that stuff, but a lot of the appeal of that has died off as times have changed and things have our current socio political climate. And I've gotten older and softer. I don't know. I I think actually. I don't know. In my, I think I'm a buy on this. I don't think I'm a, I think I'm, I want to see more of it because I want to know what happens. I want to see how I feel about it. And I think it's good. Like, I don't like, even if it, even if I would settle down on the fence, oh, it's not for me. I still think it is a good thing that is not for me, but I'm a buy. I, I mixed up my feelings in a blender and the little thing that came, the little gumball that popped out, I opened it up and it said buy inside. Eric said, do not buy. I can tell. How did you ever know? I mean, you you weren't – you did a pretty good job of describing your feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Split decision on fence number one. Next up is Miki Woodcock, the girl who handcuffed Houdini. It's a title. Written and illustrated by Cynthia Von Bueller, lettered Simon Boland. Designer, Dan Bira. This is an odd thing. Yeah, it is. I bought it – I picked it on the list mainly because there's a big, bold quote from Neil Gaiman on the cover. Which, mm-hmm. good marketing, I suppose, if you can get a pull quote from Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I mean, I think you plaster that shit all over it. I definitely thought the artwork was interesting until I saw a panel that was basically traced from a photograph that I have saved in my inspiration file. And then I looked at it, and it all looks, every bit of it looks stolen. So, no, I don't care for the artwork in this book. I mean, even, I... I don't like this character. Even like, regardless of the art, I think it holds a certain level of pe- of appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like I don't like Minky. I don't think she's very charming. Um, I think she's kind of flat. Yeah, I don't 
it's a it, it is like it's tropey a little bit you know she's like oh they just clip my wings and i'm wistful and i i want to go do things um i don't know i don't i i didn't really get the impression that i disliked her reading this um it, I, it, it's it's aimless though yeah a I, little bit i don't have a sense of who she is I think mm-hmm. that's my main problem. It's not that I dislike her necessarily. If I disliked her, at least I'd have it a better handle on what kind of character she is. She just feels like a very generic kind of, hey, I'm, they throw mm-hmm. a, there's a lot happening with her. And because of that, she just feels very broad. And I don't get any kind of very specific idea of what is she? Oh, okay. So her father's a private eye. Her mother's dead, but she has her pet rabbit. And she's like doing work for this other, like there's a lot of going on and I don't ever get an idea of, you know, she doesn't have anything. There's no challenge. She doesn't really face any specific challenge in this thing that kind of define her other than, Hey, don't kill my rabbit, mm-hmm. which I, Hey, I'm all bored for don't kill Don't kill pet rabbits. It's not a cool thing to do, but that's not really, there's nothing like, the, I mean, you bring up a lot about how often you, we want to see a character flaw introduced Mm -hmm. and as a kind of an idea of what's challenging this character and she doesn't really have flaws but she also doesn't Mm -hmm. have any but she is drinking on every page (laughs) i thought that was just kind of a era appropriate Mm -hmm. where everyone drinks all the time and smokes cigarettes all the time it's like mad she is certainly doing that but you know what she kind of makes me think of is, you know how in Prometheus there are a whole ton of characters that had zero personality, but yep. they had like a weird haircut or something? Mm-hmm. That's this. She's a haircut and a dress. It's, it's... And this mist. I don't, I like, normally this kind of, I'm a sucker for, hey, real life, like, illusionists and the, them meeting... You know, the, that meeting of ideas of real magic, meeting people who pretend magic, like Harry Houdini. Like, I'm a sucker for anything like that. Prestige is one of my favorite movies. I like, I even, I like The Illusionist. I even like that terrible Clive Barker movie with Scott Bakula in it. But this is just, I don't, I'm not hooked. There's nothing. And I, you know, I, like when you say, oh yeah, there's tracing of this, that doesn't surprise me. Um. I think the art still does, like, it's very colorful and it has a lot of, you know, interesting set pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, like, a seance and, you know, the all that kind of stuff. Topless seance. Yeah, topless seance, even. But, I don't know, it just, there's nothing, it feels like all smoke and mirrors. Um, I'm a do not buy. Yeah, no, thank you. No, do not buy from me as well. Double do not buy but- on Mickey Woodcock, the girl who handcuffed Houdini, number one. And last, but not least... Well, maybe least is the Batman who laughs. Number one, uh, written by James Tynion the fourth, art Riley Rosmo, colors Ivan Placentia, letters Tom Napolitano. Here it is, Eric. Mm-hmm. What if Batman became the Joker? It's the question we've always been asking ourselves. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on this thing because it's a one shot. And this whole event has made no, like all of these one shots. Cause this is, there's five of them. I think all of them detailing, they're all like this. They're all origin stories from these dark multiverse villains. 
and the those books are have all been grisly, all been dark, grim, and they've made no bones about what they are. You know, they they are not saying, "Oh, this is a." They're not claiming to. I don't. I don't know. I don't think any of them are aiming to be like works of 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 nuance and depth. I mean, this book, I for what it is, I think it does exactly what is what you want it to do. What was that? I what? I don't know about want it to because I kind of feel like it. I, I I don't know. I feel like the people who are like going out, like man, who are excited about this, this is exactly what they want. I didn't. I I well. I because I think Tenyon is a good writer. Thought the first half of this was really interesting, and thought we were going to see like an interesting shift in things. But what we got was Batman abruptly turning into a Spawn villain. I mean, that's what I expected. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going in. I'm like, that's what probably what we're going to get. I mean, that's what all those, I've, I haven't read any of the other ones, but I've seen pages from them online and, you know, people like posting, well, man, look at this. This is so gruesome. And it shows like dark flash or whatever, you know, breaking someone's legs in 15 places in a second or whatever. And if they all look, you know, their designs, they look like straight from the nineties. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I picked this up. I mean, we were, it just, it's, we have been, we have been, we have been, uh, making fun of this book ever since we saw the teaser for it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, it is better than I think either one of us had thought. I think when we heard, I, I know when I heard about the team, my thoughts on it shifted. I still think this is a dumb, dumb idea. Oh, it certainly is. I will not, there's no part of me that is like, no, this is really, like I said, there's no nuance to this. There is no, I mean, and there's not, I mean, I know how much you could pull out of it if you want to do a deep dive into like a Batman who gets like the Joker's mind implanted in him, like some sort of weird superior Spider-Man kind of like book. You, I don't know how you could do that because the Joker is such a, at this point, kind of, I don't know. You could, I'm sure. There's a lot of talented writers at DC. I'm sure they could find a way to tell that story in an interesting way. But it, this is a one shot, and it's a a side story on the metal event and the dark multiverse. It's full of these like that splash page at the end. It's just a, it's a full of DC spawn villains, as you uh-huh. as you say. Like it's just it's just like we've already seen five of them. In these one shots, and here's like here's another page full of these weird mutations of DC characters and how they're dark and 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 twisted and stuff. And there are still many people who think this stuff is novel and fun, and they will eat it up. Bless them, you know. But I am not one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm. I, I think you know who you are if you think that this – I like, we read that first issue of Metal and it was full of fucking nonsense and garbage. And I am sure Metal's selling very well. I'm sure all of these one-shots have sold very well. I – but I thought it was – it would be fair to at least read this one. I think – I think it realizes the concept as well as you can with what the the constraints placed upon it. You know, it tonally and thematically. It can't do much more than what it does, which is just – be like a weird, like, 
put some context around the Batman becoming a Spawn villain. But I I don't want he's going to this character is going to show up in metal. I don't want I I sincerely hope that none of these characters continue on afterwards. Mm-hmm. I hope they are confined to this event. DC says, "Here, look at all this craziness." And then we don't get any more of it. it. I don't want the Batman who laughs appearing. Although, if it sells well enough, God knows what will happen. We'll get a, a alternate AU full length series out of it or something. I'm gonna do not buy. It, like Tinian and and Rosmo and the whole team do a, a fine job with this, but I am not interested. Mm-hmm. No thanks, gang. <laughs> it's a double do not buy. I am the Batman that does not buy. <laughs> Double do not buy Dark Knights, the Batman who laughs number one. Guess what's ne- guess what is next week, Eric? You know what book comes out next week? No. Doomsday clock number one. Barf. Review early reviews say it's good. We will see. <laughs> We're gonna read it and we'll we'll gauge our we'll see how we'll see how far we go with it. You know, Batman and Rorschach making out or something. I mean, let's hope so. That'll do it for weekly floppies. Till next week, uh, we can move on. Our next segment. It's time for checking in. Checking in. This is the part of the show. Eric and I talk about what we've been up to during the week. Uh, make recommendations. Talk about news. Whatever. Uh, whatever we want to. Honestly, Eric, what's going on? Well, I took my first jujitsu test, and I have no idea. If I pass or not for a couple more days. I'm sure that doesn't cause any anxiety at all. Uh, I got to let it go. I mean, that's healthy. Yes, correct. I'm more or less fine. I think um, I, I feel pretty good about my chances, but I I just don't know. I'm sure you did fine. I think so. You know, the um, I, I mean, we'll we'll see. I definitely studied very hard. I definitely worked very hard. It seemed like I performed the material correctly and well. Um, the teacher kind of telegraphs whether you're, I mean, he does it intentionally, it seems like. He telegraphs, like, you're doing this wrong, or do you want to try again, or, like, whatever. Um, right. Really, it's just kind of a rite of passage and a formality that you need to demonstrate that you're, at least in my mind, you have to demonstrate that you're committed enough to move on to the next level, and from there, the proof is in the fucking pudding. You know, you're you're basically, like, fighting dudes. Mm-hmm. And if, I don't know, you're either just going to get your ass whooped every time, or you'll get better, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Did, but ha- that's happened, yes. Did you, paint some, did, uh, did you paint a mural? Did that happen? I have not. I not have yet? not painted the mural yet, no. Okay. You will you will know because it'll be all over everything. I was gonna say, like, if you've done it, I've seen a lot of stuff about it, but I haven't actually seen it anywhere. So I assume that's the thing that I right. That's the thing that I don't like about. I have not had time to work on this. Um, it has been very challenging and very draining lately. Um, and the, in particular, the mural thing. I'm. It's a wonderful opportunity. I'm very happy. I need to start getting paint on that wall, um, but the timing is not good, and I need to just commit to getting things done probably for the end of the year. They keep telling me, um, Tony and Michelle from Illsall and Heights Walls, they keep telling me, um, like, it doesn't matter. You really have no deadline, but it's 
you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get things done. There's no two ways about it. This can't just drag on for the rest of my life. We did get a grant though. So apparently I'm going to get paid. That's good. Yeah. It's pretty okay. Um, so yeah, that was a thing. Um, there was an art show that I was in also drink and draw at the same time. All these things happened on Saturday. It's a very busy day. It was a, it was a very busy day. I I think I barely got out of bed on Sunday. Did you play more Mario? No, I did not. I've not. I don't think I've done anything else, honestly. I want to play some Mario. You should. It's good. You get that Switch that you hate so much. I never said I hated the Switch. I think it's on record. You you said some negative things about it. We did we did we did a we did we did we did a podcast about I it. I would still say some negative things about it, but also Mario's on that. Yeah. And I also uh, believe I'm on the record saying I'm probably just gonna buy the thing when Mario comes out. Yeah. And I probably we probably will have a switch by end of this year, I imagine. Cause my wife also wants to play Mario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all know what's up. Wanna throw that hat around. Alright, well I've been playing other video games. I don't have Mario yet. You're supposed to say what video games, Robbie? What video games, Robbie? <laughs> uh Assassin's Creed Origins. Is the game I've been playing off and on in between NaNoWriMo. Um, it's the best Assassin's Creed game in a long time. Um, and definitely the first one I've been really engaged with since probably Brotherhood, which was the second of the Assassin's Creed 2 games, because there was three of those games, which makes no, no sense really, but whatever. Um, they they've released four or five Assassin's Creed games between those, probably six maybe. And I have touched a couple of them and always bounced off. I just the formula was very set in stone, and uh, Black Flag was cool because you could be a pirate and you had a pirate ship. But outside of the pirate ship stuff, wasn't very fun. A lot of the other games not fun at all. I the historical tourism stuff was just not enough for me. Like, and that's what those games became. It was like, hey, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, you're in Victorian London, there's Jack Ripper and stuff, Here, and here's another one, here's yeah. the Renaissance, uh, here's the Revolution, uh, American Revolution, here's like, you know, here's the French Revolution, here's all these different little moments in time, you get to go to these big monuments when they're being built, you meet all these famous people, you know, for no rhyme or reason, you know, they're not, you meet Ben Franklin, why? Why is, you don't need Ben Franklin in a video game, but he's there anyway. I want to. I totally want to Ben Franklin in a video game. It's underwhelming. Um, this game is before all of them. It's in ancient Egypt, uh, and you are a Medjai, which is kind of a kind of I don't know a detective that kind of just helps out people, the regular folk. Um, he, I mean, you're Batman. I don't like. I don't like. Assassin's Creed, you've always kind of been Batman, but in this, you're mm -hmm. really, hey, you're officially just Batman. Uh, you're Egyptian Batman. But they re they this game had a two-year break in between uh, the last one, and normally they've been pumping these things out one, one a year. That two-year break did a, a lot of good because they revamped all the systems in the game. Everything works a lot differently. Uh, you... I don't even know where to start. Like everything feels like they were paying attention to where a lot of newer games were going and emulated them. Like there's stuff where you're going into ancient tombs. I mean, you're in Egypt, you go into these tombs 
and you explore and find stuff like Tomb Raider. You are you're tracking down these weird, quirky side quests with really interesting NPCs like The Witcher. You're you're like I don't know taking out outposts in a certain sense, almost like Far Cry. There there the skill tree is. There's a skill tree. Like Assassin's Creed really doesn't have has never had experience points. You just kind of unlock things in when the plot says you should. And in this way in this game you have experience points, you have skill points that you invest in a skill tree. There's loot. There's never been loot in Assassin's Creed games. They're just kind of aesthetic. Like, hey, do you want the red sword or the green sword? Um in this game there's like they have all stats and special attributes. There's lots of lots of stuff added to it. They the world feels I don't know it feels fun to explore. A lot of Assassin's Creed game is just full of busy activity that fill out a map. You go to this thing and check it off. Hey, I finished it. I completed this activity. And a lot of the time they're not necessarily fun. They're just there to busy you, fill up the time of the game. Hey, I spent sixty dollars on this thing and it took me a hundred. I feel like I spent my money well. In this game, while you're exploring. I'm not doing it necessarily to fulfill something my map is telling me I should do. I'm just going like, hmm, what's over there? I'm gonna, I'll go ride my horse over there and see what's going on. And usually, you're rewarded for it. You find something. And the mini, the mini games, the little activities you find at all these, all these places are actually rewarding and fun to do. Which is also not, often not a case in the more recent Assassin's Creed games I played, where you go and do a thing and you're just doing it to get closer to 100% completion, not because, hey, this is a fun activity, or I want to see what this is hiding in this little tiny pocket of the world. Um, it's a beautiful game. I mean, it's ancient Egypt. They, there's a lot of varied um, environments. There's desert and oasis and city. And of course, there's the pyramids and the sphinx and all that, all those, that historical tourism stuff. I haven't even seen any of those things close up yet, but, you know, I'm in Alexandria, uh, I actually am enjoying the combat, which is a thing I've never really enjoyed in an Assassin's Creed game. It's more also just like empowers you to feel, you know, like a powerful character, but not really mm -hmm. in fun to play and not fun to engage with. This is like just challenging enough to I don't know, satisfy kind of the video game part of the game. Not just like, I mean, literally they're at, next year, I believe is when it's scheduled. They're adding like a tour mode to the game where there's no combat, no real game. You just kind of run around in the environment and the game teaches you about ancient Egypt, which is a cool educational tool even. Um, but it's, it's really good. I wish I had more time to play it. Um, so I've been writing. Um, other thing is news. Uh, a big deal, honestly. Again, with Marvel, I mean, Bendis just left and now uh, Alexo Alonso, Axel Alonso, I always say his name wrong. Axel Alonso is gone. Stepped down, they said. It seems like he resigned so he wouldn't be fired. This is what it feels like to me. Um, replaced with C.B. Sobolski, which is an interesting choice. Um, I I don't know what was the straw that broke the camel's back with Alonso. Maybe it was Bendis leaving, but I don't know. There have been rumors for months now after di the diversity comments and the their reaction to Secret Empire, editorial response to that. Like, there's a lot of rumors that someone was going to get cut at Marvel. Someone was going to take a hit. But maybe Bendis was just the final, like, oh, we lost Bendis. Good job. And that was enough. But I'm optimistic about Sobolski. He was, he was the editor for Runaways. 
you know, the original Runaways. He mm-hmm. has been responsible for recruiting a lot of talent to Marvel. Uh, he's been their international contact for the past 18 months. He's lived in Shanghai. So, I don't know. He, he used to edit ma- manga. I, I am interested to see what kind of direction he'll take, take, uh, the comics. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. It might just be like, say with the status quo and we'll see what goes on. But I'm hopeful that he can guide them into a wider array of things. Maybe also if you come from manga, I would hope you could understand that there's is value Mm. in letting things get collected. And I don't know. Marvel cancels a lot of books before they ever are collected in a trade. And I don't know. I don't, I'm not necessarily think that's going to happen, that they're suddenly going to change their whole business strategy, even though they probably should. But with him at the head of things, maybe they'll try some new things in their business and their marketing. But it's a big deal. There's a lot of change happening. And there's already rumors that Alonzo is going to go to DC. But we'll see. Well, let's hope someone will pull them out of a nosedive. I feel I th- like that would help us all. I think I think they'll be fine. Uh, haven't watched Punisher yet. Nope. Probably not going to watch Justice League. Yeah, I'm getting some people like it, some people don't, which means it's probably like a movie. Mm-hmm. I want to see Thor, though. I do want to see Thor in theaters. Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. It does look fun. I want to see that. Oh, uh, that's about it. That's all I got. Cool, man. Got 42,000 words in NaNoWriMo. I'm almost there. Got a lot of time left. I want to finish everything, not just get to 50, so. Yeah, you do what you got to do. Precisely. You don't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to uh, finish the book this month. You don't. Although it would be good and easy to just finish. It's good to do it while you have have momentum. Yes, momentum is is important. It is. It's hard. Inertia is hard to overcome sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about some hip-hop? I mean, yeah. About the history of it? Yeah. All right. Well, we can move on then to our final segment. It's time for Nerdboy Book Club. Nerdboy Book Club is part of the show Eric and I sign a longer collective work and discuss it in depth like you would a book club. This week we are reading and discussing Hip Hop Family Tree Volume 1 by Ed Piscor. Uh, this is roughly covering 1975 to 1981, roughly. There are, you know, references to things before that and references to things after it, but primarily it is covering that time period. Uh, there's other books that uh, cover more of the 80s. Um, I don't know where to start with this thing, Eric. Where do we, what do we, where do we start with with this? This is a really hard book to um, to talk about because it's it's not about plot at all. It is very anti-plot. You know, it it's very much just like a series of events, and you kind of have to, I you kind of have to zoom out from it to really get a through line for it. I you know? I, I think that uh, Piscor tries to assemble all the events mm-hmm. and put them in an order that makes sense. Yeah, but like the real world is not you know, does not run on a plot. You know, it just, things happen. Mm-hmm. And No, and that's exactly how this feels. Yeah. It feels like a bunch of shit happening, and this guy appears, and this guy appears, and then this happens. I mean, like, 
a guy appears because you expect something to happen and it doesn't it doesn't pay off for a while and i mean this is not this is not a story about hip-hop the thing that this reminded me of or at least when it came out was the called the get down mm-hmm. on uh netflix which i thought was pretty good you know it was sexy and fun and it was very much inspired by i mean it, it had to have been inspired by these books um i mean obviously they're all historical but like it felt very much like it was netflix doing a story about this and not really wanting to involve someone like like ed pisker no this is just like an illustrated history in a comic book form and that that makes it challenging to absorb yeah it's educational almost Mm -hmm. it 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 definitely is i just kind of wish that i kind of feel like because i was reading these a long time ago um when they were i mean this this book is copyright 2013 Mm -hmm. i was definitely reading these when they were on boing boing and i was like oh this is a cool thing but like i didn't understand it and i kind of feel like it's easier for me to understand having learned about a lot of this stuff independent of this one of the things that's confusing about this i mean for one thing it moves on really quickly you know like they'll just show stuff and you have no idea what the context is they show run dmc in this book they show chuck d in this book um who the hell else do they show in this book and not say who he is like they're showing a lot of people that were like like too young to be what they grew into yeah it is it is it is they don't really call them out well i think it is planting seeds for the later books you know it is yeah it it wants to make it wants to make i think that is the way he is trying to i mean and i think it's it's all of this is extraordinarily difficult because I don't think this book is necessarily like trying to be like, hey, a hundred percent perfect historical rec- record. It is mm-hmm. trying to do its best with, you know, I I looked, I watched some interviews with with Ed, and he was very much he and read some, and he's very clearly like, if it was just one person talking about uh, saying this particular thing happened, and there was no corroboration, and I couldn't get anybody mm-hmm. else saying it, I didn't include it. You know, I wanted to include things that were generally agreed upon that they happened, and if they yep. were kind of fishy, I would try and make maybe make imply that people like he even you know he says yeah like a lot of people say they invented the word hip hop mm-hmm. from and and you see like four different people say that in this book. They're like yeah, I invented that. I've invented that. Um, the showing in Chuck D and showing Run DMC, I I know I picked up on it. And I don't think I'm like mm-hmm. very. Those were the more obvious. Yeah, ones. I'm there sure that an, there might there be... was another one or two that I can't remember. But um, I I think that's a and it's a thing that stood out to me. He and he, and it, when he mentioned an interview, like it made perfect sense, and it even makes more perfect sense why he's doing an X Men book right now, which mm-hmm. comes out I think in two three weeks actually it comes out very soon yeah i think he's, he just teased that it's got you got about 30 days until it comes out so he like his writing style for these books is chris claremont it is mm-hmm. i mean the way even the way that the storytelling storytelling works in this is chris claremont and dropping those characters in there dropping run dmc dropping chuck d in there it feels very much the way chris claremont would do 
with the, when you go back and read older X-Men, his earlier X-Men comics, and there's, you know, characters show up for one panel, and then they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of introduced and then vanish until five issues later or ten issues later, and suddenly, hey, that character's back, and now, you know, they're doing something, and you know who they are. I think it is, one, it is just kind of emulating that storytelling style. There's another, what is the name of that? Oh, I can't remember it. It's kind of a, kind of a mythical comic book storytelling technique using like letters and issue numbers where, you know, you have five different plots, A, B, C, you have A, B, C, D, E plots and say your first arc is only the A and a little bit of the B plot. And then that B plot suddenly becomes, it jumps to the forefront for your next arc. And then you shuffle in mentions of your C, D, and E arcs so that they're always running around in the background of, of readers' minds, and then you jump them to the forefront for next arcs, and there's, and then you can always cut back around back to your AR for a villain returning or something like that. Forget the mm. name of the guy who came up with the name for it, at least. Oh, man, I really wish I could remember it. But in even in, in doing that, I think it, it works in this kind of textbook format, because, I don't know, I, personally, I know Run DMC, you know? I know Chuck D., I know NWA. I know all those guys. Yeah, um, they did. Uh, they did tease Dr. Dre, didn't they? That I, was another one. I know. So, like, I know them. I'm not. I didn't grow up on hip hop. I, you know, I've only listened to it relatively recently, honestly. And so, I don't know. I know Grandmaster Flash. You know, I know Curtis Blow. I think those are the only two names in this that I recognized. You know, I know Blondie, of course, but that isn't. I I think you didn't recognize Rick Rubin. No, I recognize Rick Rubin too, but I knew Rick Rubin Frederick. because I knew Rick Rubin because he produced Slayer albums. I did not know Rick mm-hmm. Rubin because he produced rap uh yeah. hip hop. He's, he's he's definitely an OG. Yes. But I know those guys. I don't really know any of these very early uh I don't know, originators, got people who invented the genre basically. And mm-hmm. I think how it worked for me was, oh, I see that. I see, oh, that's Chuck D. I say, oh, oh, that's Run DMC. And I go, oh, that, this is where these guys, this is their influence, you know? This is who, how they got started in hip hop is because they heard these people through these channels. And I, by showing that, I can get an idea of how kind of the genre grew and what it grew out of. Um, but on the other hand, this is only volume one, you know, there's four volumes right now, I think. Out in total, through I'm 80, not sure. I think it goes through eighty four. I want to say I think he sl- he has to slow down in the eighties just because there's so much more happening. Um, and it so it's incomplete. You know, you're not going to get there is I it, and it and it works. And like I think just by showing those guys this early on, you help build an arc over the length of the book, kind of. And I I think this is a, it's a very slow burn in that way because. If you, he's like, he's said on record, it's like, I don't know how far I'm going to go. I, I think some people are like, you know, he'd stop at nine, 1990 or something. But, you know, if you have these characters that are connected in between all these volumes up through the entire time period, then you can build kind of a grander picture of everything in total. But it's, it's tough. There's so much happening. There's so many names being thrown at you. Mm-hmm. I, I struggled with that because, and the fact that multiple, a couple groups had almost the same name, or they reformed with different members. Yeah, trade under, members. Yeah, they leave and come back in the same page. Yes, it, it's it, it's it's tricky 
to follow at some point, at some time, just because there's so many characters. But I feel like he wanted to make sure to include everyone he considered important. Mm-hmm. And pro- at prob- I think that probably is for the best. Even if it gets a little confusing. Or a lot confusing. You're awfully quiet over there, Mr. Goodnight. I'm looking at this drawing of Melly Mel. What do you think of uh, his style? I never really cared for it as much, but really, I mean, for one, I think he's improved tremendously since these early books. Um, because, God, Ed Pisker, draw, he's a fucking workhorse. He just draws and draws and draws and draws and draws and hand letters all this shit, too. Let me tell you, hand lettering stuff is hard. Like, to do all the pencils and inks and all the lettering is a beast. I sincerely hope at least someone's helping him with the color, but I doubt it. He's very much, like, about doing it all himself. But I, I, Ed Pisker is an interesting dude, and he's very much inspired by a lot of the things that I really love. You should see him, like, there was a, a pinup or something he did. I think it was, like, the Africa Bombada that he drew that was based on Jack Kirby, and there was some other thing he drew that was very much based on a Wally Wood drawing, and they were goddamn amazing. The guy can absolutely draw, even though there's like a crudeness or a naivete to like these drawings. The likenesses are actually very good. He's yeah, he's you know pretty open about his influences. Um, but his hero is Rob Liefeld, apparently. Well, I was gonna. I As like many of them were. Well, I think that he um, he feels like he he did a whole section. He, or I don't know if it's come out yet, but he is doing a, a you know a Rob Liefeld part of of like a, a small little bit of Rob, of a, like a Rob Liefeld section and uh like that is adjacent to this, mm-hmm. and he's drew it in Liefeld style, and I know there's a lot of guys of that generation who really uh, admire Rob Liefeld. Brandon Graham is another one. Yep, who really. I don't know. They they have a deeper appreciation for what Liefeld did, and I don't know. There's he's R. Crumb, Jack Kirby. Um, I, I don't know. He he loved X Men, which makes sense because he's working on X Men right now. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how that turns out after reading this. I like it, it's just not his style that is like this whole book kind of bleeds style. It it it, it like. It feels like he's said on record, like, I don't know, someone tweeted him about, yeah, I, I, I read everything digitally. And he's like, yeah, I, I guess I'm an artist, but I think primarily I'm a bookmaker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way this book looks, it, you know, the way that it looks like old newspaper, it reads like a Chris Claremont book. It has kind of that comics with an X feel in a lot of ways. You know, it, it it feels like it this what we're reading isn't necessarily the entirety of the art like the design part of it the way that it looks the way that it reads the size of it is all part of the art not just hey here's the history of hip hop it's i don't know if it, it's a thing that it i think that's a lot of the appeal of this book honestly 
because it does it, you know, it's not just, hey, here's a book, history of hip hop, here's the story. It is an art object. It is, it feels like a Chris Ware book almost, except that, you know, it, it feels like it's enti- the everything about it is telling you something. I have never read a Chris Ware book ever. I don't know if you'd like it or not. <laughs> you probably pre- appreciate it, but I don't know yeah, if you like it. I think that he's like kind of that semi shitty pretentious uh, kind of artist that gets on my nerves. Ed Piscor really likes him. Take that for what you will. I have nothing. I mean, people people that I like can like stuff. I don't. I'm not gonna hate on them. But I mean, his books are like that in that it's not the what's inside of the covers is not the like on the page is explicitly all of what you're getting from when you if I went to a store and bought this book, I'm getting you know I'm getting I'm getting kind of delivered art. Before I even start reading, you know, you look at the front cover and it looks a certain way. You look at the credits, it looks a certain way. The way that the pages are yellowed, so it looks like kind of old newspaper print. He's even said, like, the only thing that's missing is the smell. You just need to get a little spritzer of newspaper smell and spray that Mm -hmm. on every page. I will say that this is the first time, I think, for a comic book where I thought an accompanying playlist was not only appropriate, but also adds something. It adds a tremendous amount. But, I mean, it is literally the material that's discussed in the comic. Mm -hmm. These should, I mean, if it wouldn't bankrupt Ed Pisker, they should come with a CD of this. Yeah. I I liked the book a lot when I read it, and then I started, I listened to a, there's a Spotify playlist, you just search mm-hmm. hip hop family tree. It's the first thing that pops up. And I, anyone who reads this, go listen to that, that playlist because it immediately deepened my appreciation for the book because I could put sounds to all these names I'd learned. You know, I, I, I read and heard all these bands and went, Oh, there's this, this group and this group and this group. And suddenly I could hear their music and it suddenly it, it makes another connection, I think. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of comics out there where the creators are like, here's my playlist for it. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. I don't. But in this case, I'm like, definitely necessary. Honestly, I feel like it, you, it, like it's hidden in the back of this book, the, 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 you know, his songs and stuff. And I'm like, that should be the first thing in this thing. It should be like, and it should be explicit, like read this book and then listen to this music because it, it adds that final dimension. The one thing the comic book can't do. You know, can't play you a song. How much of this history did you know beforehand? Um, this specific book, surprisingly, not a lot. I, uh, I would, I would say there was a, a a fair few of these people that I didn't know. I mean, I knew Bombada and Cool Herc, and I knew the story of um, and I, I knew sort of the story of how it all began, and I've watched. There's a really great documentary about hip hop uh, that's for free on Netflix. Well, no, no, it, it's free with your Netflix. How about that? And I definitely recommend watching it. Um, and I think that this is even more in depth. That it talks about some of these people, but not all of them. It is even it is broader strokes than this book. So there's quite a lot of stuff in here that is all new. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think you. I think you don't really even get a complete picture without all of these things. You know, I think reading this, you come away thinking like, "Well, there's so much that I don't know." Yeah, it it is a good. It's a primer. You know, it is the kind of basics and fundamentals. There's a you know th- this is there's books and there's documentaries. I, I feel like it is. I, you know, just now there's people starting to put this stuff together, but I don't think, I don't think this is anything that, I don't think Ed is trying to say that this is complete what he's, what he's made. It is just his best effort at kind of giving a, a version of events, including people that he thinks are valuable and important to include, and also putting a, a, a comic book spin on it. Mm hmm. Which, you know, like, there's multiple moments where he, and he, like, points it out with little signs in his art, artistic license. Uh, oh, which group was it that bought dirt bikes with their record advance? Um, uh, I want to say that it was, um, it was the Furious Five. Okay. Because that, he's like, yeah, this is artistic license, but they really did buy dirt bikes. And it's those moments where, you know, like he says, like, yeah, African Mumbato was actually not a gigantic man, but he's I felt- a pretty big dude. Well, he does draw him like, like an ogre, twice as large as everyone else. Yeah, and I think he's, he's like, and he's like, I didn't, I don't, you know, I when I was drawing him, I know he's not ten feet tall, mm-hmm. but his personality was so big, I wanted him to dwarf everyone else. And it's that, it's that kind of little bit of embellishment and of including things like that. Like this is not. That's why I. I hesitate to call this a – it's not a pure educational comic. You know, it is not a, a scholarly journal. You know, it has artistic license in it. But I think it's better because it has that in it. It's better because it has the comic booky stuff in it. You know, it is not just like, here's a drawing of this character, of this person. I mean, and frankly, hip-hop is a perfect place for that kind of embellishment because – it is it feels like artists rappers go for it with how with how they portray themselves in the public eye and how they name themselves how they and you know like you even see that in this book where some of the groups get signed to uh was it Sugar Hill Records and suddenly their image changes suddenly their clothes get a little bit more grandiose they become more characters i don't know it felt like they were it felt like I, I the only thing I really knew about this era of hip hop with the beginning was the blackout mm-hmm. and how because it suddenly gave a lot of people access to this equipment, they suddenly had this big explosion of MCs and 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 because suddenly, hey, they didn't have to pay. They didn't. All these people were poor. They couldn't afford the, this equipment, and suddenly, because there's a blackout, there's riots. They just everyone stole everything. Now they have the equipment. Now they have somewhere to start, something to start with. And I don't know. I think it's a fundamental part of uh, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what hip hop is. Like as a teenager, I you know I didn't know any of that. I didn't. I had no understanding of what it takes to make a band or right. what it, what it takes to be a musical act and go on tour or what hip hop was or where it started. No, it started because like this is, it's all dance music. Very fundamentally. It's like you have these people with uh, turntables 
making dance music out of it, pre-existing music. And then people started rapping over it, and suddenly it grew into a bigger thing. But I never understood, like, like as a teenager, I was shitty. And, like, I don't like rap. I don't like hip-hop. Mm-hmm. I want a band. I want people who can play instruments. And... Yeah, it's definitely, like, it's the music of poverty. Yeah. People can afford records and a turntable. It's hard to afford six musicians and a band and all those instruments. And amps and, you know, the... the yeah. And, and, a, and frankly, a van to carry all that stuff in. Uh, like, they talk about them powering their equipment through streetlights mm-hmm. at one point. Like, it's rapping. You All you need is a microphone. You just need your words. So free, basically. And... It, when they started beatboxing, you needed even less stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I don't know. That is, I, I think it's a very fundamental idea that people can't get their heads around, and especially people from a certain background. You have a certain idea of, well, why don't they just play instruments? Well, they couldn't, people at that time, those people just couldn't afford them. Like, they, you mm-hmm. buy a guitar, how much does a guitar cost? Like, and like, that's the, I, I think it is interesting that they tie in, uh, punk music to a certain extent mm-hmm. in this book. I don't, I don't know how much further it goes as we get into the eighties, but like, that's a, it, cause the, like they share a, a kind of a central ethos and central tenet of what's just make music. We don't have, you know, it's all, you know, they make a point like I, they distinctly point out one of the Ramones have a $50 guitar mm-hmm. and you know, that's a very, like, make music, sure, cheaply, and maybe even kind of shitty music. At least shitty sounding at first. Bad production. Because you can't afford good production. But make it. And that kind of pure, raw energy will c- communicate the rest of what you are trying to say. This Russell Simmons caricature is so fucking mean. It is insane how mean it is. I, yeah. It's pretty rough. I mean... God, I wonder if he just hates Russell Simmons. I I did see, I saw one interview with him about that. He mentioned it and he's like, he just looked goofy when he was young and he was on angel dust and he lisped really bad. And he's just like, that's how he was when he was young. And I'm just, you know, I just portrayed him the way he was is what Ed said. I mean, there's like literally last week, awful sexual harassment shit came out against him. So I don't. I also was like, yeah, well, fuck him. Who cares? But there's a lot. Like, this is, again, this is not, like, d- dwelling in any of these people, honestly, for very long. Like, there's just so many people. Mm-hmm. You can't, there's no time to, like, hey, we're just going to follow this one character. We're just going to follow them for three panels, then uh suddenly shift, and then maybe six pages later we'll see them again. They're back, and then they disappear again. It's just, I'm I'm very impressed by how, like, well, he juggles all these characters, but does not dive in deeply into any of them. You know, They're, we don't follow them from, you know, uh, he has said, oh, uh, was it, oh, who was it did he say? I want to say KRS-One. He is, mm-hmm. if anyone, he is going to be the person that gets, like, uh, beginning to end kind of, like, or or as close as he can of an arc. Because he is that, I, I think Ed said he's like, he is like, 
the kind of American rags to riches story in the history of hip hop. But I don't, we haven't, you know, where this is only the first book. You think you could teach this in a school? Do you think you could teach it? Yeah. Would you like high school? Do you think uh, this could, you could use this in high school? I think recent history like this absolutely needs to be taught. Like I'm very fascinated by, um, seventies, eighties and nineties, uh, tech culture as well. And this is, this is basically culture that, I mean, we're losing it by the day. You know, we need to start talking about it. We need to start recording it because it's, it's big, important shit. You know, these guys have shaped a big part of modern culture. You think is you think this book is fair to them, the people in it? I mean, I don't know. Most of them, my only opinion of them is in this book. I think that, you know, what I knew about the Sugar Hill Gang, this is more nuanced than what I knew about them before. Um, nothing is really jumping out at me as being unfair, but it's challenging to say. I, I think it largely is fair. Where are you seeing unfairness, though? Because that's I mean, that's I would say I probably, probably the Russell Simmons stuff. But um, I don't even think he comes through bad. I mean, he just looks like a doofus. <laughs> he does look like a doofus. He looks like a fucking idiot. Uh, it's it's. I think he, he wants some cocaine and some pussy. Yeah, I, I think it's largely unfair in that it. Because I think the only thing I would describe as unfair is just how much it it, and I think it's it's I don't blame it for it. I think it's just a byproduct of covering so much in so little is there the the lack of depth on any one person or on like he has said it. DJ Cool Herc basically invented all of this, and you can go back to him first putting on shows. Uh. And the people in that one room, like in a, in a, a small like rec room in a um, in a project, those people, those that little group is basically where the entire genre started. You know, Cool Herc, and then all those people who listened to him saw what he was doing and tried to do the same thing, and all the people that spawned from them. And I think because you don't get depth on anyone. In this, because there's so many characters and so many, so much things to cover, because he really is trying to do a very, like, he's trying to do, a, he's doing kind of a broad but shallow approach to this, that you're not getting the depth of, you know, kind of a, maybe at the end of this, you'll get a better idea of it. You know, when he's finished this project of the broad sociological idea of what hip hop is and, how's it changed and why it started. And like, I, this stuff, I think it hints at it from here and there. And it's kind of, it's focused more on all these people and letting that kind of tell that story. I think maybe a little bit more of authorial voice in there, just like him, like saying, well, because these six things all, here's what these six things mean. You know, I think I'd like a little bit more of that. Yeah. I think I need to, I think I need my hand held a little bit more. Yeah. I, and I don't, maybe he feels like that is intruding too much on history, but I think that's most historians, that's what they do is kind of, they read, you know, they read the retellings and all everything written about a specific 
thing, a scene, a culture, a an, a place, and then they kind of try and pull meaning out of it and 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 say, here is what I'm sure of, here is what I I'm kind of partial to, and here's things I can't prove but what I think. And he doesn't do that in a lot of places. There's there's hints here and there, and I would like it to. I don't know. Maybe he thinks that's not a place for a comic book historian historian to 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 do. But he's from what he I can tell he does a lot of research on all of this stuff. You know he he goes in interviews, he goes into other his talks to other people who are you know know about the history of of hip hop and record collectors. He digs into all of this stuff before he writes about any of it, and maybe a little bit more guidance about. Well, all these, like, there's that, I, I think particularly it's that segment in this book where the, 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 I'm losing my perspicacity, Eric. Um, that's probably okay. They're, lo- the, the, the record labels are, are popping up and all these people are getting signed and putting out records. And it, that feels like a seminal moment. That feels very important. But there's nothing in the book that explicitly says that. Or there's and there's nothing in the book that describes about hey like all these artists want to get pay, aren't getting paid enough despite the fact that their music is selling a lot and I feel like I you know I would like to know does that mean something later on is there is this the start of something um like when the record labels start all these record labels start popping up that are only putting out hip hop records what does that mean is that like is this hey look this is going to mean something because Def Jam happens in a few years. With Russell Simmons, who's in the book, like I like, but there's no hint to that. There's no foreshadowing. Maybe it won't matter because in book three it'll be covered. So in so there's so be so much of it that I won't care. It's hard to say. I mean, this is still this feels uh, like I don't know. It feels like Box Brown in some regards. Hmm. Feels yeah, like, feels like Box Brown comics. It feels and it felt it feels like um in a certain way feels like Allison Bechdel. Um. Oh, um, Dykes. Yeah. Just dykes. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that. You know, her her book. You know, I mean, this book has come out in this over the period of like five years, so it does it does have some time, but it feels you know because her book dykes to watch out for. It has kind of you know it has that history of people engaging with like in a very particular niche culture underneath the mainstream. And then the Box Brown stuff, it feels like they kind of, they feels like they share influence. And the Box Brown books also are vaguely educational and have, you know, kind of a bio, biopic kind of feel to them. His are more focused, uh, definitely, but they feel like they come from the, the, uh, a similar place. And like these two guys are like, hey, I like comics and I like this, these other things. I'm going to do a comic about it. But I, I like I want to I, I think I, I definitely think this should probably be taught, even if it is in the context of other things like I would include this in a curriculum of other, you know, other of documentaries of books that are exploring the origins of hip hop culture as well. But I feel like this has a place in it because I feel like comic books do have a certain overlap in the construction of image and stuff like that, which hip hop shares. And I want to read the rest of them. I'm going to read the rest of them. Mm-hmm. There are four of them available. Yep. And on, uh, old Comicsology uh, Unlimited. Yep. And also, I'm really excited about that X-Men book. Oh, yeah. I mean, who better than Ed Pisker to do that book? Yeah, I believe he said, oh, I'm just taking 4,000 pages of material and putting it into 280. He could do it. 
he definitely could do it. I think, um, I mean, the artwork is really simple and like, it's easy to underestimate like the amount of work this dude does. He's pretty beastly. I mean, I, I think to a certain point, I think the simple, the simpler the art, I think it benefits the book, honestly, because the book already, this is incredibly dense. Like this, this is only, this volume was only 95 pages. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a lot of information on any one page, much like Claremont. It feels very much like here, I'm going to just give you a lot of information all at once. Um, that is honestly the most impressive thing to me. Like, all, like the value of this as an art object is very impressive and you know, his workmanship and craft and all that, but it's the storytelling I think, and the ability to convey all of this information relatively clearly, I think is the thing I come away most impressed by because it is a lot. I, I think it makes it a little bit easier because it is not under a burden of trying to tell a story. Honestly, it is tr- mostly under a burden of delivering information, but to make all of that interesting and compelling is still very challenging and it does a very good job at it. And honestly, I think you don't, I don't, you do not need to be a fan of hip hop to enjoy this. I mean, you, I, like you don't need to be a hardcore fan. I mean, I like some hip hop music, but I'm not like a, a head or anything. You're not an old head. Mm-mm. Anything else you want to say, Eric? No. Hip hop is good. This book is good. It is good. Ed Pisker is good. He is good. Mm-hmm. He's a magnificent human being. All right, folks, that was Hip Hop Family Tree Volume 1, Ed Piscor. Pisker. I'm going to do that a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Uh, next week, we'll be reading Squadron Supreme. Uh, Mark Gruenwald, Bob Hall. It's a Marvel comic. Came out eighty five. Kind of, I've always heard it as a a, a less well known kind of deconstruction of superhero comics, all the Watchmen. But I don't know. We'll read it. We'll see. Read along with us. That's next week. I think that'll do it for us for this week. We are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You can find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. Find links to everything there to our Facebook, facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour, Twitter at hbchour, and emails handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. You can like us and follow us, uh, reach out to us if you want us to read something. Uh, we'll try and check it out if we can. Um, if you like us, go on Apple Podcasts, go on Stitcher, Google Play Music, wherever uh, podcast app you use. Uh, give us a five-star review, subscribe, uh, tell your friends. All of those little things, they add up, uh, and they help us find new listeners, and we really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Robbie Norman. Eric, where can they find you and your things online? You can see my portfolio by going to freewillunlimited.com, and you can see most of the things I get up to online by going to ericzgoodnight.com. That includes my Instagram and my Twitter, where I'm known on both as Easy Goodnight. With that, we will call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll.